starting a new uh, sermon series this morning called uh, Healthy Church. Again, if you want to take some notes or jot down some things, that would be good. Uh, this morning could be the most important sermon that I preach here. I didn't say it was going to be the best, but it could be the most important sermon. Uh, Paulina and I, my wife and I, are really excited to uh, be here. Uh, many of you have expressed that you are excited to have us as well. Uh, some of you have expressed that there's a renewal of hope, uh, that more people seem to be coming, more people seem to be coming back, and uh, I mean, I feel it, but I'm kind of new. Even though I've been your pastor for over a year, you know, I've really just been with you maybe five, six, six weeks. Someone came up to me and said, we're already getting bigger. And, and here's the thing that I thought, I thought, I didn't say it, but I thought, Bigger isn't better. Smaller isn't better. Better is better. And in this case, healthier is better. I mean, you can be a big church and be very unhealthy. I mean, you can attract the crowd by doing certain things, by having certain actions. And smaller isn't necessarily better either. Healthier is better. What makes a church a vibrant, transformational, life-changing isn't bigger or smaller, it's healthier. Now, it's my conviction when a church or a business gets healthier, we tend to invite our friends more because we're not maybe embarrassed that there's something happening here, not just on Sunday morning, but in small groups. There's something happening with our kids. When the church gets healthier, our kids want to invite their friends. And it's a place where we can invite our kids, our kids' friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, and our family members that do not want to come to church. So when a church gets healthier, it tends to, to grow as well. So we start this crucially important sermon series called Healthy Church. It'll last over the next five weeks. Beginning next week, I'm going to start the first of five actions that healthy churches do or have. By the way, when I say church, I'm also meaning Christians. Because the church isn't the building. This isn't a building program. This is about you and me. We're the church. Church are us. I, I told you I slip in these incredibly humorous lines. And you have to be sharp. But today we're not going to think about actions. We're going to think about attitude. We're going to think about what I consider the critical attitude of any healthy organization, and especially a church, because actions spring from our attitudes. Our attitudes are the foundation of our actions. I'll say it again. Our actions spring from our attitudes. What we believe translates into our behavior. What you believe about COVID, got your attention, will translate into how you behave about COVID. What you believe about getting vaccinated will translate into your actions about wearing masks and getting vaccinated. Actions flow from attitudes. This is what Jesus said. He said this, the good person out of the good treasure of the heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure of the heart produces evil. For it is out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. Jesus is saying that the attitudes of the heart 
come out in our words or in our actions. So today we t think about the, what I consider the attitude of the church. So here's the question. Trinity Presbyterian Church. A hub? A club? Or a pub? Now first I want to think about a club. This is my varsity letter jacket from college. I was a part of an esteemed club called the Letterman Club. Of all the sports at Miami University, if you achieved a certain level of success, you achieved a letter and you got to wear one of these good looking things that said you were in the Letterman Club. Of the 14,000 students at Miami University, hence the M, only 300 of us won one of these. That's 2% if you're doing the math. Now the club was all about me, hence the M. The club was all about me. Everything on the outside of the club, the circumference around the club, existed to make me happy. When I wore this Letterman jacket, I could get into all sporting events for free. I could get free beverages uptown. I could get free food. There were privileges with being in the club. Being in the club didn't cost much. You had to achieve a certain level in sports. But when I had this on, when I wore the jacket, I was in the club and it was all about me. Life in the club. Now let's think about a hub. This is someone's bicycle tire from outside. No, this is a bicycle tire and this is the hub of the tire. The hub does not exist for itself. The hub, the center, exists for the circumference. In the hub, the center exists for the circumference. Now the hub has to be strong. But the hub primarily exists not for itself, but for that which is outside itself. In a club, the circumference exists for me. In a club, the letter is M for me. In a hub, the letter is O for others. In a club, the circumference exists for the center. In a hub, the center exists for their circumference. Trinity Presbyterian Church. A club or a hub? Now I know most of you have been around church for a long time and you say, oh, I know the answer to that. That's easy. Jump to that, I'll lower my voice. So I'm not talking like that. Before you jump, of course we know what we are. Let me contrast the two further. A club is all about my needs. A hub is primarily about the needs of others. A club seeks to be blessed. A hub seeks to be blessed to be a blessing. Genesis chapter 12 that was read earlier. A club lives and dies for itself. A hub dies to self so that others may find life. 
clubby people often say, well, I don't want to get rid of that. We've had that there for years. I don't want to add that. I don't like that. I don't want to change. Hubby people often say, will removing that, will adding that, will dressing like that help us reach the people that we want to reach? A club church follows ritual and routine and tradition. A hub church pays attention to routine and ritual and tradition, but it seeks primarily to follow Jesus, who came to not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. A club is about maintenance, primarily. Maintenance is important. But a hub, while it has maintenance, is primarily about mission. A club exists for the center. The hub exists for the circumference. Trinity Presbyterian Church. A hub or a club? Now, I know you know the right answer because we're in church. And, and you know the correct answer, the answer that Jesus would want us to have, what the Scriptures remind us of, especially the two that were read earlier today, over and over, is we don't want the church to exist for me or for you, we want the church to exist for others. We want to seek and save the lost, as Jesus said. We want to go and make disciples of all nations, as Jesus said. A healthy church, we all pretty much know, is a hubby church. And everyone wants to be healthy. Everybody wants to grow and reach more people. We want, we want children to come. I, I want my, my, my daughter Tiffany to grow up in a vibrant church where she's not the only one in youth group, where she has a number of her friends coming, and they say, it's, that's cool. I want to be able to invite my neighbors and have them have a compelling experience. I want you to be in, to able to invite your spouse who will not come to church or, or, or a best friend of yours or one of your children or grandchildren, and they come here, and at the very least they go, that was different than I thought. That was actually okay. Everybody wants to grow. Everybody wants to change. Everyone wants to be healthy. Ah, but there's fine print. Here's the caveat. To become healthy requires that we, I hate saying the word, change. And we don't like change, do we? We resist change. A leadership consultant once said in a seminar I attended, all change at least at first, is experienced as loss. I pushed back against that for a while, but, you know, all change, for the most part, at least at first, is experienced as loss. If you have children or grandchildren or been around children, you know this to be generally true. They're little, little kids, and, and, you, and you want them to grow. You want them to become self-sufficient. You want them to change, and then they do. And this is what you prayed for. This is what you wanted, but... They're not holding your hand anymore. They're not kissing you and saying, Mommy, I love you. I'll miss you today. You're saying, can I give you a kiss? Uh, that's okay, Mom. I'm good. We're good. I'm good. You're good. I'll give you one tonight. Right? So you wanted that. You wanted them. I wanted them to become self-sufficient. But they're not holding my hand in public anymore. We resist change. Change is, change is hard. All change, at least as first, is experienced as loss. 
years ago when I moved to Davis uh, and became a senior pastor for the first time. Uh, the, the, the church there was in decline and uh, very discouraged. It had been seven years since they had a senior pastor. They beat y'all. I live in Nashville, so every now and then Nashville comes out, y'all. They beat you guys. Uh, I, I came after five interim pastors. But they had a strong core of leaders, and they really wanted to grow, and they really were willing, especially at that point, to do anything and everything to be more and more hubby and less and less clubby. And we grew, and we grew, and we grew, and we grew. Prayers were answered. People were coming to faith. People were getting baptized. The youth groups, junior high, children's junior high, senior high, college were coming. People were becoming followers of Jesus. People were inviting their friends. We went from one service to two to three to four. I used to get nervous at the 930 service when the fire marshal showed up. Because he would always want to see me after it. <clears throat> uh, do you know what the capacity of this room is? It's a great problem to have. It was an exhilarating time. Exhilarating. But not for everybody. On one cold, drizzling January morning, I was coming into the church. There was a line outside of, uh, at 9.15 for the 9.30 service. And a woman who had been coming to the church for 25 years pulled me underneath her umbrella and she said these things. Who are all these people? I don't know anyone, it seems, in this church anymore. And I couldn't find a parking space in the parking lot. I had to park across the street at the grocery store and walk across the street in the rain. And I've had to start coming here 20 minutes early just to get my seat that I've been sitting in for 25 years. Now, it's easy to criticize that spirit, but, but just think about it. For 25 years, if you, you've been used to parking about 15 yards away from the front door and walking right in, if you've been used to knowing everybody and about everybody and waving and saying hi to everybody, and you've been used to sitting in your chair, in your section, for all that amount of time, wouldn't it be a little annoying? It would be um, difficult. All change, at least at first, is experienced as loss, even when it is good change that we've prayed for and desired and wanted. Now, when you've been around church for a while, you understand that the inertia of the church is always toward club. Same is true in schools. Same is true in business. It, it, just, it just moves towards a club. The gravitational pull, the leaning of any established church is towards club, not hub. This church always starts out with mission, and if it's successful, if it survives that first year, they'll get more and more people, but with more and more people, you need to have programs for the people, and then you need to have committees, especially if you're a Presbyterian, and then the mission emphasis moves to maintenance met, uh, emphasis, and you have to have maintenance. And so the gravitational pull is, once you've experienced that first breath of success, is, is towards maintenance, towards club, and away from hub. In fact, um, church, church leaders who, uh, 
who specialize in church health or church growth will say that the average church in the United States has a pinnacle point of a, at about 18 years. And after that, they, they usually slide down. 80 to 85% of churches in America are in that downward spiral. 80 to 85%. We feel it in our presbytery. You felt it in this church. I mean, no one, no one wants to die. We don't want to die. We want to grow. We want to thrive. We want to be healthy. But we all resist change. You felt any change this morning? You notice a few things are different? I do. I resist a little bit of the change, and I thought of the changes. All the changes that you see from the, the, the program saying Zoe Church, I just came up with that, to how I'm dressed, to things not being here, to things being more, are all things that other churches have done in an attempt to become more healthy and be more hub-like. Hear this. I am not suggesting these changes necessarily, especially this one. But a, a pastor friend of mine literally dresses like this every Sunday when he used to dress in a shirt and tie and sport coat. Why? Because he likes dressing like this? Maybe. But because he felt it would reach the people that he wanted to reach. And it has. And it's not that you dress this way or look this way or change the name of your church to Zoe or the river or jump up and down church or whatever, whatever you can. It's not that. But those changes represent an attitude. Does that make sense? It represents an attitude. Change. Speaking of change, how many Pentecostals does it take to change a light bulb? Ten. One to change the bulb and nine to pray against the spirit of darkness. How many TV evangelists does it take to change a light bulb? Just one. But for the message of light to continue, please send in your donation. How many Episcopalians does it take to change a light bulb? Three. One to call the electrician, one to pour the sherry, and one to talk about how much better the old light bulb was. How many Catholics does it take to change a light bulb? None. They use, they use candles. How many Amish does it take to change a light bulb? What's a light bulb? How many Presbyterians does it take to change a light bulb? Change. I was hoping you'd laugh. We don't like change. You've gotten that point. Well, let me ask you this. How does it make you feel that you've seen these changes, that for today on the cover at Zoe Church, or that your pastor is dressed like this, or the flags aren't here, or the, the uh, table isn't in the front. Some of you might go, oh, I like this. Some of you might go, geez, is this permanent? And if you brought a guest today, you're going, ooh, wrong weekend to invite someone. But I don't think that's the right question. I think the right question is, does removing this, does adding this, Will that help us reach people that aren't here? Will that help reach my kids, my neighbors, my family, 
people I don't know? I think that's the right question. Churches tend to move towards club and not hub. Over 2,000 years ago, this was the situation that the Apostle Paul faced with a church that he had started. He started the church. It was all about mission. There couldn't be any maintenance because there was no one to maintain. It was all about mission, and the church grew and grew and grew until about the 10 to 15-year mark. The church in Greece, in Philippi, started to move towards club and not hub, and so the Apostle Paul writes them a letter to address that in part. And so this is what he, what he writes. In Philippians chapter 2, he says this, verse 3, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In other words, he's saying, don't stop thinking about self. Stop wearing the letter jacket with the big M. It's, it's not just about you. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Remember, these are letters. We call it Philippians. It's a letter to a church that's, that's sliding towards club more and more. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. It's not primarily about you, he's saying. And then he says it's rather, in contrast, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking only to your own interests. It's not that we don't look to our own interests. It's not that we throw out maintenance. You have to have that. In fact, one time, years ago, when I was talking about this, someone came up to afterwards and said, well, can we be a clubby hub? It was a good question. Because I think what he's saying is what we all fear is, do we have to throw out all of our own needs? I mean, what about pastoral care? What about, you know, strengthening marriages? And what about addictions that we have? And what about spiritual growth? No, you don't throw it all out. But that's what we tend to gravitate towards only. And Paul says in this version, looking, not looking only to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. I think what he's saying is, you know, don't throw out maintenance. Of course you need maintenance. But don't let maintenance totally throw you off mission. The emphasis, the energy of the church leadership or part of it should always be on mission, on mission, on mission. And this is what Paul says. And then to underscore, to give us an example of who was about mission, he uses the example of Jesus. And in, in probably some of the most profound words ever written about the nature of Jesus, Paul writes these words that many theologians think was a hymn. He writes these words. Verse 5, In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude. Have the same attitude of mind that Jesus had. See, before actions come attitude. He's laying the foundation. It's about attitude. Whatever, and and, and uh, later on he said, whatever's true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, excellent, or praiseworthy, think about those things. It affects your attitude because the actions flow from our attitudes. He says, so before you think about visions and strategy and what to do and all the actions that we have to do, we have to have, he says, have this attitude in mind at first. What was that? Well, he goes on to say, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Whoa. That, that's a lot. But the short, short version for this morning. 
Jesus being in very nature God. Other versions say of the same substance. Of the same substance. That Jesus was divine. Who being in the very nature God. What's God like? God has power. God has authority. God has holiness. God has uh, jurisdiction over everything. All authority on heaven and earth belong to God. But, it's, but Jesus has it too. And then he says, who being in the very nature of God, who had all that, all the riches of the kingdom, everything, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. He never played the God card. But he made himself nothing. The next verse. Rather, he made himself nothing. Another verse said he emptied himself. He had all the advantages. It could have been all about me and rightfully so in Jesus' words. He is the name that is above all names. He is the name that which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. But he didn't use that card. Why? Because he wanted to reach you and you and me and our kids and our grandkids and our neighbors. He didn't use his authority. He didn't use his power to his own advantage. He emptied himself, taking the very nature of a servant, and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Again, there's so much more there. But in short, what's the same attitude of Jesus? The attitude of Jesus is not to be served, but to serve others. It's, it's hub, not club. It's circumference, not the center. That's the attitude of Jesus. Trinity Presbyterian Church. A hub or a club? What do you say? What about the hub? I mean, what about the pub? You want to know, where's the pub? Well, I'm glad you asked. Many of you know that my wife Paulina is from Poland, and uh, before a pandemic hit, we would go every year to, uh, to visit her family and and in her hometown in Bydgoszcz, Poland. It took me about a year to learn to pronounce that, and I want to pronounce it as often as I can. And so we would go there, but on the way there, we would always try and stop someplace for a, a long, long layover so we could do some sightseeing. A couple years ago, uh, we went to uh, Dublin, and we got to spend 12 to, uh, to 18 hours in, in Dublin. What? Sorry. Oh, you'd like to see some pictures? Oh, sure, sure, sure. Um, here we are at uh, Trinity College in uh, Dublin doing the, uh, the sightseeing thing. Uh, here we are in a pub, a wonderful pub, uh, drinking some uh, a beer and some lamb stew. We listened to some great Irish uh, music that afternoon. And then uh, we heard about this great church. And so we went to church. And here's the, the church. It's actually called uh, the church. Next slide. This is actually called the church. But it's not a house of faith and prayer. It's a house of food and drink. Because somewhere along the line, in these last 150 years, this church moved from hub to club. Next slide you can see it's a restaurant and bar. The name of Jesus is no longer proclaimed anymore in this place. The church used to be packed with people offering praises to God, but now it's packed with people ordering food, and drink. Next slide. 
where you used to sing praises to God, now you order drinks. And under the main stained glass window, there used to be a cross and preaching. Now they have great Irish dancing. In the basement, there's a dance studio. And uh, when you go in the bathroom, you can buy condoms in this place called the church. There's a group, next slide, and next slide, and next slide. There's a group here uh, having uh, lunch and having drinks on top of a grave. And if you could look at the gravestone, it's the former pastor's grave in this place called the church. Even the church logo seems to kind of mock this former house of worship. Next slide. I mean, I don't know about you, but the U kind of looks like a devil's tail to me. As I left this church, I looked at the stained glass windows, and there were three. Next slide. They're all from the book of Psalms. The center one says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go to the house of the Lord. The one on the left is from Psalm 93. It says, holiness befits your house forever. And the right one says, I love the house where you live, O Lord, the place where your glory lives. This is no longer the house of the Lord. A once vibrant church of mission and ministry, a powerful hub of a church slowly over years became a club and slowly it became a pub. This was profoundly sad for me. I don't know in the future where we are going as a church. I do know that we need vision and strategy hard work and plans. I know that we need maintenance. I know that we need all those actions, and we'll talk about those. But the most important thing, the most important thing that we need to remind each other often, that we need to remind each other often is this attitude of others and not us, of hub, not club. In your program, there are a few questions I'd like you to uh, ask yourself or dialogue with other people that kind of helps the conversation going. Number one, what changes in the church would you like to see and why? Just talk among yourselves, not now. What changes in the church would you like to see and why? What changes would you never want to see happen and why? Maybe there's some things today that, that were little changes in no way. And why? And number three, is Trinity Church, in your opinion, more club than hub or hub than club? And why? And then another question is, are you more club than hub or hub than club? And again, why? So I encourage you to wrestle with those questions. Let's pray together. Gracious and loving God, we come before you to pray. We thank you for the power of your word, for, for Paul's letter to the Philippians, to the church there at Philippi 2,000 years ago. They wrestle with the same thing we wrestle with. We want to be healthy. We want to grow. We want to reach more and more people, but it's just so hard to take off that letter jacket with the big M. Help us, Lord. Help us every day. Remind us of who Jesus was and is Help us, Lord, 
to think of others before we think of our own interests. Help us, O oh God. Lord, we lift up our world, our hurting world. Lord, we pray for the people of Haiti who experienced yet again another traumatic and devastating earthquake. Prompt us, Lord, to do something if you want us to do something other than to pray, but may we at least pray. We pray that the church would respond there on the ground in Haiti. We pray your mercy and grace, Lord. We pray for the people of Afghanistan as they go through traumatic horror again. We pray for your protection. We pray for peace. Lord, we pray for those in our own area affected by the fires, especially the people of Northern California and those of Greenville. We pray, Lord, that the church would respond and again, place it on our hearts if there's anything you want us to do. But may we pray. And Lord, we continue to pray for the health of our world, the health of our country, as it experienced the, another uptick with COVID. Help us, Lord. Help our politicians. Help our medical experts. Help us decide how to respond. We pray for an end to this. Lord, we pray for our own church family, for marriages that are struggling, for parents that are just tired. Pray for educators and leaders. We've had kids come back or are coming back, and they're already looking forward to Thanksgiving. Protect our children, Lord. Protect our teachers. Help us, Lord. We pray for any in this, this room that are having addiction issues. We pray for their ability to say no and yes to what you'd have them say no to and yes to. Lord, so much more to pray for, but these prayers we offer to you in the good and great name of Jesus, who taught us how to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory. Amen.